Against all odds, writer Bas Timmers went on a trip to Latin America on September the 1st, 2020, in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. This is his story, The Long Road to Medellin. Unknown pleasures, Desierto Tatacoa. What the hell did I know? The pictures were impressive and Desierto Tatacoa, speak out loud, sounds great. Turns out the name was already given by the Spanish in the 16th century as a reference to the many rattlesnakes in the area. And if there is one animal I am scared of, exactly. But there was no way back anymore after traveling an entire day from Bogota southwards in a cramped bus. Colombians call this highway. It is more a two-lane road actually. Once I got off the bus near the small town of Aipe, I had to walk across the village and felt like a bounty hunter entering a western town where all the locals are watching you. I didn't shoot them, no worries. Beyond the pueblo, was a hacienda. Careful not to make too much noise, to not rattle any snakes that might be hiding in the grass, me treated carefully through the meadow. Over two makeshift bridges which seemed to be made for pedestrians only. The locals had decided though it was suitable for motors as well, because this was by far the easiest way to get to the other side, to the town of Via Vieja. Crossing the river in a small narrow boat powered by a second-hand diesel engine. One day later. It was probably a sad sight, the Dutch guy on the mountain bike that's too small, alone in the middle of the desert. Well, the bike isn't too small, the saddle just can't be adjusted in height to someone at least 10 centimeters higher than the average Colombian. The only other people on this road are the taxi drivers in their rickshaws, taking tourists into Tatacoa in a comfortable and sensible way. But I prefer my freedom and flexibility to go where and when I want to. So the mountain bike seemed a fair option for the six kilometer stretch. This desert, for some strange reason, is an often overlooked area of Colombia. Maybe it's too far away from the Medellin-Bogota axis and everything around it. Living circumstances are prohibitive as well, it must be said. Via Vieja, the colonial, colonial village closest to the 330 square kilometers huge desert, therefore seems to move at a much slower pace or no pace at all. One time, during dinner, a loud bang scared us. The locals were undeterred, used to these mishaps of power outages and had candles burning everywhere inside the village within two minutes. The heat in the desert itself, though, was of even another level. Tatacoa is tucked in between mountain ranges, with the Nevado de Huila, peaking at around 5,700 meters, stopping most of the heavy weather. Over the last couple of centuries, that allowed this area to get drier and drier into a dry tropical forest. The weather forecast had been very promising, with lots of clouds but no rain. Yes, the strange thing is that it rained a lot here as well, 
as my new Swiss South African friends would notice the day after. I was lucky, albeit on the other end of the receiving scale. These small hills were gently flowing with low vegetation left and right, as you would expect. But after 30 minutes of cycling, and a chain that got derailed twice, something changed. The soil was becoming drier and, on the right side of the road, ochre. This was the famous red desert of the Desierta Tatacoa, the part you would see on all the pictures. It wasn't really red now. It was more of the rusty brown sort, with some traces of white on the ridges. These looked like miniature mountains with sharp incisions marking where the rain usually flows down. As almost by mistake, a cactus or a tree popped up here and there. Apart from that, nothing. The Mirador de Miguelito, the first lookout, gave a neat glimpse of things to come. A storyteller couldn't have done it better. A teaser, telling people there might be more ahead. From the roadside you had an amazing overview. There were no marked trails here. You could go down, of course, and run the risk of hearing the tatakoa sound of a rattlesnake. So, I chose wisely. The main area of the red part of the desert, there is a grey area as well, was just around the corner. Around the famous observatory, known for the unobstructed nightly views of the stars. It's why the few tourists that come here often opt to stay in one of the huts here, or in the luxury hotel with a pool, a bit further up the road. Free locals were taking care of the visitor's kiosk, nothing more than a fridge, a bar, and a couple of chairs protected by some sheets acting as a roof. The asphalt had effortlessly given way to just dirt. From the lookout point, a moon-like landscape unfurled. Dozens and dozens of small mountains without any obvious organization. It was surprising how small this area actually was. On pictures it looked more like another version of the Grand Canyon. But this entire stretch of small ochre mini hills was maybe two square kilometers. I could almost feel a sense of disappointment overtaking me. But a trailhead was inviting me to go down and explore. So, why not give it a chance? The stairs took me down maybe 15 meters. These really were mini hills, not even mountains. Shaped naturally by the alteration of heavy rain on these clay lands, which caused thousands and thousands of gullies down, with long dry spells eroding and almost pulverizing the clay. Today it meant the hills were mainly ochre and dusty. You could almost wipe off the sand with your hand if you were allowed to touch them. But the narrow walking trail at the bottom was partly muddy, betraying the way the rain flowed a couple of days before. It also explained the occasional fruit beer and cacti, a trace of life in the middle of this nothingness. This felt like walking on the moon. Well, at least how I would imagine walking on the moon feels, with gravity added. There was a trail, but you could deviate from that a bit as well. It curved its ways through the hills, but sometimes over it, 
to the other end of the area. It was getting grayer here. The map showed me there was even a campsite near and the first tree started to grow again. Couldn't imagine sleeping here for a night in a tent though, in the middle of a nature that had been hiding from me today. Tatakoa. There were branches of dead trees here. Some black vultures were hovering around. One of them would sit motionless five meters away from me during lunch a bit later. I could slowly start to feel the skin on my face burn. The weather precipitation was slowly turning out to be incorrect. One cloud after the other disappearing from view. This was now an unforgiving place to be in for humans. This was no man's land. The morning symphony of canaries, parrots and falcons has all but been drained out now by the heat. After climbing back up the hill towards the lookout, I had to think of why the Spaniards would have called it the Valley of Sorrows, the nickname for Tatacoa. Was this the area where troubled souls came to consider their sins? Were these red and grey hills just burdensome for the Spanish, as these plains might have been hard to conquer or hard to defend, surrounded by the central and oriental cordilleras? A rare tree had provided cover during lunch. To my surprise, there was even a small tour party talking in Spanish. Still, no foreign tourists around. I continued at my own pace, covering the smaller eastern part of the Red Desert. Walking the ridge supplied plenty of views over the canyon, which was getting wider here. These looked more like canyons, and there were several rocks pointing right up into the sky, coming out of nowhere. There were peach cacti everywhere when I walked down again. It was by now becoming almost too warm to stand still and take some pictures. The three liters of water I had taken with me were down to the last bit. This was no man's land. Giant cacti seemed to flourish as well here. They must get their nutrition from deep down this copper-colored soil. I was wondering what would happen if I would move in the other direction, away from the red and hilly parts into the real desert again, with its small bushes and rocks and probably snakes and no protection from the sun nor the dry wind. But my mountain bike was still waiting for me at the Mirador. The three locals were still sitting in the same position at the kiosk. My Gatorade was probably doubling the turnover for that day. One last look down into the Red Valley, that unforgettable view I would probably never again see in my life. Thank you for listening to another chapter of The Long Road to Medellin, a book about traveling during the pandemic. If you want to read more travel stories by Bas Timmers about Latin America, visit IntoTheArmsOfAmerica.com